yeah, just trusting a bank is nice, but the fact that they can freeze your account and just lock you out of everything, like that's your hard-earned money. Mm -hmm. like, no one should be able to do that. Welcome back to the Wine and Politics Podcast. I am your host, Jane Marie Barnes, and today we have an amazing guest who I'm super excited to introduce, Alex Bryan. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, like Jane Marie said, my name's Alex. I'm her stepbrother. Yes, so, I, yes he is. So pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> and yeah, let's get into it, I suppose. Let's do it. Before we jump straight in, for those of you who haven't listened to this podcast before, Wine and Politics is a podcast where we try to get people to come together and have a conversation, whether that be on different sides of the aisle or on the political spectrum, and try to find common ground or uncover something new. And the catch is that you must be drinking wine. <laughs> so how's the wine right now, Alex? It's pretty good. I don't know what it is, but I am enjoying it. So you made a great choice. Thank you. We're just going to surprise you. So we are drinking the Justin Cabernet Sauvignon from Paso Robles, the 2019 bottle. I think I usually like cabs, so that's probably why I'm enjoying it so far. Yep. I'm um, a big cab person, so too. Good choice. I'm sure your mother would have some more to say about it. but <laughs> She would let us know all about the notes yeah. and the undertones and the tannins and all the things. Shout out, Terry. <laughs> the wine MVP. The wine MVP of the year. All right, Alex. So here's how I think we can structure today's episode. Let's tell the listeners a little bit more about you and your background, because you're like the tech super genius of our family. Sure. And then we can jump into cryptocurrency because I know that's a topic everybody is pretty interested in knowing more about and something that at least for me personally kind of goes over my head. So I'm hoping this could provide value to other people. And then from there, we can talk through PayPal and some of the censorship issues that are happening around that company. And then I'd like to talk about Elon Musk and Twitter, Tesla, electric vehicles, SpaceX, Starlink, you name it. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All my favorite things. So let's get into it. <laughs> let's get into it. All right. So Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself. How do you lean politically? So politically, I'd say I'm more or less down the middle. Overall, I feel like the less government is involved, the better. Naturally, I think they should make rules regarding stop signs and things like that, just because people can't always govern themselves in every manner. But if they're getting into our everyday lives, then that's when it's kind of annoying. Like the people should just operate on their own. And I mean, I know everyone is not, it's kind of like self-interested and would not always put community as a whole or just everyone as a whole first. And that's kind of where things get tricky. But yeah, I just think they should let us do our thing and step in here and there and just help out where needed. So like limited government, more libertarian yeah, point I'd of view. So. It sounds like you are also an advocate for the government stepping in for the greater good sort of thing. Yeah. And that's how I feel like when I, as you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of Trump and 
my main thing with him. Like I know he was trying to put like businesses first and just get the markets going and things of that nature. But growing up, I always thought that a president should be more or less a good person. And I know people could say he's a good person, but just when looking at him, I feel like a lot of people didn't feel that way about him. And that was kind of more like why I didn't like having him as a image of our country, just setting the example. Yeah, I feel like he just, in my mind, didn't look great for that. And like, I know I'm not focusing on his policies and things of that nature as much. But I think the president should be someone who has like a good character and good policies overall. A good reputation. Yeah. And so that's why I wasn't his biggest fan. But what are you going to (laughs) do? I know when you have a limited set of options, it's kind of hard. You have to pick the lesser of two evils sort of thing. Exactly. And that's why I say less government overall, because the fact that for the most recent election, our choices were Trump and Biden is pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Like, why should it be these two super old men who one has no idea who he is more or less like I just feel bad for him day to day because I've seen videos of him falling over on a bike he just doesn't know what's going on he should more or less be in a home his family should just be taking care of him and then yeah Trump I just he's not my favorite person I guess so the fact that we have to choose between those two is just pretty ridiculous in my mind we just need to change a lot of things but hopefully we'll get there one day (laughs) maybe in 2024 we'll see yeah we'll see what happens (laughs) okay so You are an advocate for limited government. You want to make sure the person in office is reputable, has integrity, and leads by example, as well as has good policy. Fair enough? Exactly. Okay, so tell us a little bit about why you were interested. I feel like you were one of the first people I ever talked to that was interested in crypto. Yeah, and so I think a lot of that comes from just keeping up with tech. Even in middle school, I was taking apart Xboxes and putting them back together, trying to fix them, just trying to see how things work. So I think it was kind of a combination between being interested in tech and a large portion of cryptocurrencies is decentralization. And so I think that falls in line with my feelings about having less government in general. And I really like crypto because it is a worldwide thing. So it's not just just one country or one company doing it and running everything it's it can be anyone anywhere and so I think I first kind of got introduced to it because people were using it for fake IDs and things like that and so I remember hearing about it then and that's when everyone was saying like oh this is just Bitcoin is just used for bad things black market yeah black market things and there's like the Silk Road back then which you could buy like guns and drugs through using Bitcoin yeah so interesting yeah because with PayPal if that could be tracked more easily or like checks and things like that, like that's going through a bank. So I think that was first how Bitcoin was introduced, which didn't put it in the best light to begin with. But after looking into it more and just removing it from those activities, I think I could really see that, oh, this is almost, it's almost a goal that is like tech back. And so that really intrigued me and just kind of brought me into it. And then from there, I began to look at these other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. And when I first started looking into crypto my knowledge wasn't great i thought they were all just like kind of used as currencies but when you say currencies us dollar the pound a euro sort of thing yeah i thought they were all just more like a us dollar equivalent which bitcoin is bitcoin is supposed to be used primarily as a currency so say i was buying something from you i would pay you in bitcoin or like sending money to relatives people would use bitcoin say i had a 
cousin who lived in a random country and like instead of doing a money order I could just send them Bitcoin so I thought that was pretty cool and then yeah I figured out that Ethereum was more of like a smart contract and was just a computing platform that was decentralized and everyone around the world could use it going from there so Bitcoin well and Ethereum when it started out they were both proof of work which I'm sure you've heard of Bitcoin mining and all of that. Mm -hmm. Proof of work is, so when Bitcoin first started out, anyone who had a computer could mine Bitcoin. What does that mean? Yeah, so what <laughs> mining Bitcoin is, is you're pretty much the validator. So when I would send you Bitcoin, say Scott was mining it, he would pretty much validate that I have the funds and they're in my account and I'm able to send them to you. You have the Bitcoin funds in your account. Yeah, and so the way blockchain works is it's like a ledger that anyone can go and look at so you can look at every transaction that's ever happened on the bitcoin blockchain it's pretty interesting because if you have a company like paypal i'm sure they have a ledger of every transaction that's ever happened on paypal but you and i couldn't go and look right. at that so with bitcoin like you could go and google and just search the blockchain and you could see every transaction that's ever happened on it. Okay, um, so I'm Googling Bitcoin blockchain ledger. And then it'll just show like a wallet address sent X amount to another wallet address. So it doesn't have like your name and phone number on it, but it just has that wallet address. Like an IP address or something? More or less. So the wallet is where you would keep your funds, which is kind of weird because if you have someone's wallet address, you could go and see exactly how much Bitcoin and everything they have in their wallet. And I think that's the biggest hurdle to overcome when it comes to people getting into Bitcoin because your wallet is pretty much making you your own bank. And so the way a wallet works is you have, I think it's 12 words. Like a lot of people etch those words into a piece of metal because if you lose those, I'm sure you've heard about people losing their wallet and they had like 10 Bitcoins on it or whatever. And they're like going through the trash to try to find it. Because if you lose those words, then you lose your funds. So those words are almost a unique identifier for your wallet. Mm -hmm. And no person has the same 12 words. Exactly. Okay. And yeah, so if you get locked out of your bank account, you can reset your password and get back in. Right. Whereas if you lose those words, you lose everything you have. And so I think it's cool and tricky because you don't have to rely on a bank to keep your funds safe. But at the same time, like that's a lot of responsibility for people because if you lose that then you mm -hmm. just lose everything and like you can hold your funds on a platform like coinbase or just like any trading platform for crypto but everyone says in the crypto world not your keys not your funds and so that's just pretty much saying like coinbase owns everything in that wallet because you're leaving it on their platform so you would want to move it from there to your own wallet so explain what coinbase is again so Coinbase is, and that's primarily what I started on. So it allows you to buy cryptocurrencies. So it's a platform that allows you to buy cryptocurrencies. Yeah. So it'd be almost like a Charles Schwab where you would trade your stocks and then just leave it on there, but with cryptos. And then you can move them all from Coinbase to different wallets, which you want to do if you're in crypto, because at any time a platform like Coinbase could say, oh, these actually aren't yours because you don't have the keys to the wallet. Things like that is what holds cryptos back because it is kind of challenging for people to do all those steps. But then once you do those, you can spend your money however you want to and just do whatever you want to with your wallet without anyone stepping in and like stopping you. Like PayPal could shut down your account, mm -hmm. whereas no one can shut down your wallet with Bitcoin. So, so let's zoom out again. Explain to me what the heck is blockchain technology? Like, how does this whole thing work? 
Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've heard stories of people who are more interested in an NFT or a non-fungible, what's the T? Token. Token. Yeah. <laughs> non-fungible token meaning more to them than, say, a signed baseball card, like a physically signed baseball card. So help me understand the world that exists that makes Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency so successful. Yeah, so in that sense, we can, we'll zoom out and go back to the blockchain. So if you created an NFT and put it on the blockchain, you could pull up that ledger at any moment and see it would be probably on Ethereum blockchain because Ethereum is, it's more of a smart contract and yeah, like a decentralized computing. So what network. do you mean smart contract? So Bitcoin is, like I said, more of a currency like USD, where you're just using it to send money. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ethereum, that's how it was used at first, but it has a lot more uses than Bitcoin because it is a smart contract. So say on Ethereum, we could set up a contract where I send you $10,000 and then Once I do that, you could write a program and link it with Ethereum where once you receive that money, it would like automatically release an NFT to my wallet. So you can set up things like that with Ethereum. So a lot of people talk about using it for real estate because the deed would always be on the blockchain. Say you have a house and the deed for it is on the blockchain. You could actually see the owner, whereas if a deed is like a piece of paper, naturally that could get destroyed. Mm -hmm. I guess you could create a fake deed, but if it's on the blockchain then you know it's real yeah because you can see where it started and every single place it's gone since then anyone can go and look at that data so it's more secure yeah like more easily documented more secure Mm -hmm. and it's just open to everyone Mm -hmm. and when you say you know you pay certain money through ethereum then that automatically releases an nft into your wallet it's basically a smart contract to use that terminology that triggers the payment Yeah, like you could set certain criteria that once it's executed, then it releases different things. Ethereum is just, anyone can just like tie more into Ethereum and like code off of it. And this is kind of more technical and I wish I had more of a coding or like software engineer background because then I would really know more about it. But yeah, like with Bitcoin, you couldn't set a contract or like do any of that. You're just sending money. Whereas Ethereum, like that's why NFTs are all linked to it and on the blockchain because for example, say the Mona Lisa is actually like a copy, but it's just like a really good copy and no one ever really knew how it got there, like where the original is. With an NFT, you could see like, okay, this was created. It's the real one. It moved from me to you and then through however many other hands. And it's just all recorded on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, And is a blockchain essentially code? Yeah, so it's code and it's a ledger. So it's just the history of every transaction that's ever happened. And yeah, and that's what the blocks are. So a block is just kind of a rolled up summary of transactions. And then after X amount of transactions happen, that's when... The block is finalized and then that's what ties back into proof of work and proof of stake because with mining once a block is finished then the miners would receive a payout of bitcoin or ethereum for mining that block as a miner you're pretty much just validating all the transactions and making sure that i actually had the money or the nft and I sent it to you. So the miners are just validating all of those and making sure that the previous transactions align with what's happening. And so... So it's like a a digital form of accounting. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you're going in as a miner 
and you're making sure that whatever, whether it's your transaction or someone else's transaction is legit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. The miners or like the validators, which is proof of stake, they're just making sure that every transaction aligns and just checking that I actually have the funds or the NFT or whatever. Um, and then it's moving hands correctly. And so that's where it gets kind of tricky because so a 51% attack. So say you were mining 51% of Bitcoin that's when you could go back and change the ledger. And so that's the biggest risk, which naturally that would be pretty difficult because you'd have to be mining 51% of Bitcoin. And what does that mean? Mining 51% of Bitcoin? I'm, I just don't know anything about this. Yeah, or so like, <laughs> I guess it's kind of easier with Ethereum now because it's proof of stake. And so the way proof of stake works is you could lock up five Ethereum and so then you become the validator and that money is tied up so you can't touch it. But that allows you to become a validator so you would get a payout on that five Ethereum for validating that all the transactions happen. So if I'm mining something, I don't necessarily own it or I'm not necessarily buying it. No, so mining, you're you pretty much just be running a program on your computer and it's pretty much like solving a puzzle and then whoever solves it first gets the payout. So how does that connect with transactions on Bitcoin? Let's say you owe me Bitcoin or mm -hmm. you're going to pay me something in Bitcoin and Scott is a miner mm -hmm. and he is validating that what you're sending me, what I'm owed, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so with mining Bitcoin, it's pretty much just how powerful your computer is. Okay. Because the more powerful it is, the faster it can solve that puzzle, which is just validating the transactions. And so the more mining power you have, the faster you could solve the blocks and then get more Bitcoin in return. So that's why a lot of these companies are like huge mining companies now, because the stronger their miners are, the more they can solve, the more money they get as mm -hmm. a payout. So what's a, what's a company, an example of a company that is a mining company? I'd have to pull them up. Riot Blockchain is one. Which one? Yeah, Marathon, that's another one. Marathon. Um, and so these companies are just buying thousands of miners so they can solve more of those puzzles or validate more transactions and then get that money in return. And yeah, so tying back to the 51%, so say Marathon, because you have so many of these companies with miners, Marathon would have to have enough mining power to take over 51%, which with so many of these billion dollar companies now investing in miners, that would be really tough to do. I'm mm -hmm. sure you'd have to spend at least trillions to get that much power in mining in order to do that. And that's why I was saying like proof of stake is kind of an easier one because to like- So, so mining is proof of work. Yeah, proof of work. So you're using computing power to solve the equation and then get a payout. And that's why people hate on proof of work because you're using so much electricity to mine all the Bitcoin. Whereas proof of stake, you're just showing that you have the funds and you're locking it up. You don't have to use all the electricity and computing power because you're just using money and locking it up. So what do you mean by that? The seller is saying, hey, I have proof of these funds or the buyer is saying, hey, I have proof of these funds from the seller and I'm locking up my Bitcoin. It would be neither. It would just be someone on the side. We're talking about the dollar now. So I don't have to be paying you or you don't have to be paying me. It could just be someone with a million dollars and they could lock up. So it's pretty much putting the a million dollars into like a savings account that you can't touch. They're saying I'm allocating a million dollars towards Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And so you would take your Ethereum, say a million dollars worth of Ethereum, and you'd lock it up into like a savings account that you can't touch. And then that would allow you to become more or less a miner of the proof of stake, but it's just called a validator instead of a miner. And so you're just locking up your funds and using those to then become a validator. And then certain validators get picked. And the more money you have locked up, the higher the chances you get picked to verify the block. So it's like almost like a... It's not, raffle's not the word. Yeah, well, it's kind of a raffle and you're just increasing your odds with the more Ethereum you'd be locking up. Okay. So say I locked up one Ethereum and you did 20, you would be much more likely to win. And then be picked to mine it without any competition. Yeah, so you'd be picked to validate the block. To validate it, okay. So yeah, all the transactions and the block and then you would be rewarded for doing that. Okay. And so, yeah, it's a little different than proof of work because you're not using computing power. You're just locking up your funds. And so you'd be more likely to get picked if you have more locked up. So it's more of like a money game. Both of them are, but you're basically showing, hey, I can Mm -hmm. go and mine this with the money I do have, but I'm choosing not to because it's taking up so much computing power. Yeah. And so that's where people start to question them because it's supposed to be decentralized. But then if you have more money, you can lock up Mm -hmm. and then more chance to get more that's when it kind of becomes more centralized because that person could win every block. Right, like you're almost alienating the people, the normal individual computer guys who are mining these things on their own. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Ready Player One. Have you seen that movie? Which I actually haven't seen that. Oh my Um, gosh. So it's based in virtual reality. mm -hmm. And there's some game that the founder of what they call the virtual reality Oasis makes everybody go on a scavenger hunt. Mm -hmm. And there's a company, I think it's called IOI, and it's just a conglomerate of people who are hired by this company who are going and trying to find these little Easter eggs within the virtual reality game. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is kind of reminding me of. It's like these companies that are hiring miners or engineers to mine or to build up their funds in order to push the little guys out. Yeah, exactly. So that's why people start to question these because it's like if these big mining companies can raise a bunch of capital and then buy 10,000 miners, obviously they're going to continue to win and make more Bitcoin than say me who could buy like one miner and set it up in my garage and then mine for Bitcoin. And then proof of stake kind of falls in line with that because it's like if these companies can buy a bunch of Ethereum, lock it up, they're going to win more contracts. And with mining, you can also, so say I had a miner and you had a miner, we could pool those together and combine our mining power. So that's what a lot of people were doing to compete with the bigger guys. So yeah, it is kind of tricky in that sense where it's like Ethereum just switched from proof of work to proof of stake. Mm-hmm. So now it's people with more Ethereum can lock that up and then become the bigger validators and win more blocks. So the cryptocurrencies themselves can switch between proof of work and proof of stake. Yeah. And so the way that works, it's based on the amount of you kind of go in and change the code and then everyone who owns Ethereum can go and vote on it. And Interesting, so like a board or yeah, like a that whole process is again, more coding based and a little over my head as well. But yeah, I know like you can go in and set the chain to switch and it was a huge project. It took forever. But yeah, within the community, you just have to have X amount of agreement and then they switch to it, um, which that probably won't happen very often. But with Ethereum, they were just thinking that it would reduce the fees overall. And like, yeah, again, with electricity use less, which is kind of interesting that it did that because I was mining Ethereum. So it used it uses graphics cards. That's what would... What are graphics cards? So in your computer, 
in order to play a game, you'd have a better graphics card because it could compute at a faster rate and make your resolution better. So a graphics card is literally in your computer hardware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Got so it. that's hardware, yeah. So typically one computer has one graphics card, but then to build like a miner, you're pretty much just building a computer and adding more graphics cards to it. So then you can solve those puzzles faster because the more graphics card power and the faster you could solve those. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I just have these graphics cards sitting, but now I could use the Ethereum I got from mining to become a validator technically. But yeah, it is kind of weird because it's like anyone could have mined Ethereum on your, you could just open your laptop and mine it. You wouldn't get the biggest return because your computing power isn't great. Mm -hmm. Not uh, compared to all these other big billion dollar companies. Yeah, exactly. And then people who would buy like 50 graphics cards and set a bump in their garage. But yeah, now it's just proof of stake. So it's more just about the funds you have as opposed to buying a ton of graphics cards that's so crazy it widens the gap between the big corporate conglomerates and just little old me and you yeah which that's how I, i've always felt about proof of work versus proof of stake it's like okay if i have more money i can stake more and then get more return on it but yeah with proof of work i mean i guess it's kind of the same because say a big company could buy just a ton of miners where i could only buy one and i guess economies of scale come more into play with mining because if you're a company you could buy 10,000 miners for a discount whereas if we're buying ethereum like that's going to be more steady you can't get a discount on buying ethereum so that's one difference but yeah it's still the same problem but using less power overall yeah so what's the difference between ethereum and bitcoin yeah so getting back to that i mean ethereum is just different technology so that's like people are building all of these projects and NFTs on Ethereum where you can't do that on blockchain. So Ethereum is a platform. Yeah, it's more of like a computing platform that allows people to interact with it, where Bitcoin is more of just a straight currency. So it's literally a ledger. Yeah. All you see with Bitcoin is a ledger that's recording every transaction of every Bitcoin that's ever happened. Yeah. Whereas Ethereum is a little bit more dynamic, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So people can interact more with Ethereum and you can do more with it. And that's just more on the back end. The algorithm behind Ethereum is just different than Bitcoin. Bitcoin was built just to be a currency, whereas Ethereum was yeah built to be just more of like a yeah, platform where people could interact with it more um, and kind of build off of it. Got it. So going back to the basics, when I was doing my research, I was looking up different types of cryptocurrency because again, it's a completely different world to me, like a completely different universe to me, mm -hmm. honestly. So what I found was that there's four types, four main types of tokens. You've got utility tokens, which if I'm correct, it's a type of crypto that acts more like a ticket or coupon. So does that mean that in another definition I saw, that means it provides access to a platform or service? So in the example of Ethereum, if I wanted to get into Ethereum, would I need a utility token in order to access the platform or how does that work? So I think Ethereum itself would be considered the utility token in that. What's it? Okay, so what's a few examples of a utility token? So utility token would be Ethereum. Solana is also a utility token. So. And so that's like a platform? Yeah, so it's more of just like a platform that users can interact with and build off of. Whereas Bitcoin, Dogecoin, even though I don't like Dogecoin because, well, one, I saw it early on. On and I was like, that's stupid. Um, and and <laughs> then it Scott went up said a the ton. same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the thing with Dogecoin, so like Bitcoin has a finite amount. Once X amount of Bitcoin is mined, no more can ever be mined. And does that mean that no more can ever be exchanged? So it can still be exchanged. And so 
once they're all mined, the miners, because right now as miners are rewarded for mining the blocks, they get the X amount of Bitcoin that hasn't been created yet or mined yet. But once we hit that limit, then it'll all just be fee-based or transaction-based. Because um, the miners won't be able to receive any sort of payout. Yeah, because there's no more Bitcoin being created. So then they don't receive that. Whereas Dogecoin, it's unlimited. So Dogecoin doesn't have a cap and it can just keep going forever. And so that's why I would see these people saying like, oh, Dogecoin's going to go to 100,000. And that's just impossible because I think it's every block, 10,000 more Dogecoin are created and that'll never stop. It'll just never stop being created. So it's like that can't go up in value because... That's interesting. It's almost like inflation. Yeah. You know, where the US government continues to print money and print money and print money. Mm -hmm. It depletes the value of it. Yeah. Just like with Dogecoin, if there's more out there, it won't be as valuable as Bitcoin. Exactly. And that's why I have always been like Bitcoin has always been my favorite because this is the first one. And with the US dollar, the government could go and be like, oh, we're going to make a million more today. And it's like, OK, with Bitcoin, we can't do that. And yeah, that's again why I'm less government overall. It's because why should they be able to decide, oh, we're going to print a billion more today or mm -hmm. like and just kind of ruin the value of the dollar where Bitcoin, it's like a finite amount. So no one can go and say, oh, we're going to up this to a ton more. And that's interesting. The platforms that exchanges and transactions of cryptocurrency are conducted are really the utility tokens. That's that piece of it. Yeah. So the utility tokens are yeah the ones that allow you to just like build off of it. And that's why NFTs run on Solana and Ethereum. So NFTs run off of utility tokens. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So another type that I was researching is um, payment tokens. So that's basically Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. Anything that you can use as an actual currency to purchase a good or service. Yeah. Yeah. So those would be, yeah, the Bitcoins, I guess the Dogecoin. I think XRP is another one of those. But yeah, just anything built to be more of like a dollar or so a payment as opposed to, yeah, utility where you're... And I think like Avalanche is another utility one. But yeah, those just all allow you to build off of it and do more with it where, yeah, the payment ones are just strictly supposed to be payment. Interesting. So we talked about utility tokens. We've talked about payment tokens. Another type of token that I saw when researching was a security token. And for those of you who want a refresher, a security is basically a, an instrument that holds value that can be traded. So like a stock, bond, mutual fund, et cetera, that you can buy and sell between two parties. And so when talking about security tokens, is it essentially the same thing, but with blockchain? And so I think right now it's a little tricky because, and this is kind of where the government comes into play, because for a lot of these coins, they can't decide if they are considered a security or not. And so I don't think any cryptocurrencies currently exist that are a straight up security token. And I think we might start to see more of that or just maybe the government will identify certain tokens as a security token. But yeah, I think that's still something that is tricky just because of crypto being the wild west that it is and still kind of how early it is. There are companies that do like ICOs, which is an IPO of the crypto world. So it's initial coin offering. So I think that would probably be considered a security because you would be buying into like essentially the stock of a company just on the blockchain. So could a company theoretically have an IPO, initial public offering, and an ICO, initial coin offering at the same time? And it's just different ways of purchasing equity? 
Yeah, I guess they technically could, which that's definitely not been done before, but I would be curious. Like Coinbase did an IPO somewhat recently, but yeah, they could have also done an ICO. I feel like it would make sense to do it at the same time. Yeah, that would be interesting. And I just wonder if companies are almost scared to do that because you're kind of being regulated by the SEC if you're doing an IPO, but then if you're doing an ICO, that might just add in another tricky factor because... Right now, cryptos are, I believe it's the um, the Commodity Futures Trading Committee or Commission as opposed to the SEC. And that's the biggest thing that's been holding crypto back as far as regulation because they can't decide if they want to switch it all to the SEC or keep it where it is now. Whereas crypto enthusiasts want it to stay how it is because the SEC would mean more reporting and just more transparency. Whereas there are also people in crypto where a lot of the coins that come out are just pump and dumps or like a quick money grab. So that might reduce a lot of it if it did switch over to the SEC. But yeah, I think it, again, it just goes back to like decentralized versus centralized because SEC would try to centralize it more where you have to like follow these regulations, which naturally crypto was created. So you don't have to do that. But at the same time, a lot of people are getting taken advantage of because Mm -hmm. there aren't those laws in place. So do you know of any legislation around security tokens specifically? Because I know we'll we'll talk about legislations around another type of token, but just curious. I don't think currently. I'm trying to think if there are any coins that are categorized as a security right now. And I don't think there are. Like they just finally said Bitcoin's a commodity. I'm sure we'll start to see that. But yeah, there's no like security tokens that I'm aware of. Okay, so we've talked about security tokens. And then the last token that I saw as a major type was what's called a stable coin. And from my research, it looks like a stable coin is something that's commodity backed. Mm -hmm. So it's tied to the value of precious metals or oil or real estate. So can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, so I'll do like the view on stable coins in the market. So like the way people use stable coins now is say I bought Bitcoin at $10,000 and it went up to 60,000. Then I would go and so is Bitcoin considered a stable coin? No, but a lot of people so after they make those gains, they move those funds into a stable coin because a stable coin is supposed to say like there are some stable coins out there that are backed by the dollar. So yeah. they're always supposed to stay at a dollar per coin. And so like with Bitcoin, you don't know if it's going to come down from 60 to 40. And now we're seeing 17 or 18,000. But with the stable coin, if you move it to that, it'll always be the same amount because you'll have 60,000 USDT, which is Terra. And so I think that's why people use stable coins or like I could buy a stable coin and send that to you because it would stay at the X amount. Whereas if I paid you an Ethereum at the peak, that would be like 4,000 per Ethereum. And if you kept holding that, it would now be like a thousand per Ethereum. So naturally like people are somewhat hesitant to do that. Like I have a friend who bought a watch using Ethereum at the peak and now that guy's coming back and he's like, oh great, this is worth a quarter of what right. you paid me now. So stable coins are just supposed to have that backing so they're more constant in price. That, that makes um, sense because then they're more easily tradable. I owe you $10,000 in stable coin. Like that's mm-hmm. not going to change. Yeah, it's going to stay at 10000 Whereas I think that's why I think of Bitcoin as being the gold of crypto where then the stable coins would become like the dollar of crypto. I would see most people keeping their bigger funds in Bitcoin. I mean, unless... Unless something happens to Bitcoin, right? Or like if they're scared of the up and downs, which 
you just got to ride the up and downs with Bitcoin. It almost sounds like Bitcoin is a stock portfolio in and of itself. Yeah. Or not even a stock portfolio, but it's a, almost a stock. Yeah. Like you're just kind of buying in and hoping it goes up, but it definitely has its ups and downs, even though like it's still the most consistent gainer compared to like any other investment. So it does continue to go up, but yeah, like it does have a lot of ups and downs. So it definitely has a wild ride. But yeah, with the stable coins, you would know you're just staying at X amount if you put that much in. But yeah, there are ones like Luna. Which, yeah, I want to get into Luna and Terra USD. Yeah, so Terra, Terra's USDT. Look, what does that mean? It's just the like ticker for the coin. Their stable coin is USDT. But yeah, like I probably don't pay enough attention to stable coins as I should because so stable coins are supposed to be backed by x amount of different currencies yeah so luna they had their own stable coin which was supposed to stay at a dollar but someone found out that they somehow looked into the company's holdings and they found that they were holding like x amount of bitcoin and they were also doing things like futures and like a bunch of weird trading things and just opening themselves up to just a ton of exposure. And so someone somehow found that out and like forced the company to sell all of their Bitcoin, which somehow in turn, it crashed their stable coin. And so this is something that's supposed to stay at a dollar. It went to like less than a cent. Whoa. So people who had a ton of money in it, they just like lost everything. Wow. Because naturally, if you expect something to stay at a dollar and it goes to less than a cent, you're pretty screwed. Of course. That's the last thing that you would ever think would happen. Exactly. And so I think that's kind of where regulation comes back into play. That shouldn't be happening. But because it is unregulated and just kind of messy right now, things like that do happen. And that's like, yeah, I had money in Celsius, which... And what's Celsius again? So Celsius is a platform where you could put in... So a utility token. Yeah, well, (laughs) it's more of a platform. So you could put in different cryptocurrencies. Like I had some Bitcoin, some Ethereum, some Litecoin, and just like different coins would give back different percent returns. So like every month I would get say a 3% return on the amount of Bitcoin I had in there. And so I was like, okay, this seems cool. Like I'm just, I'm going to hold all these coins anyway. So why not get some money back on them for holding them? And I thought it was completely secure. And it turns out they were doing something similar. Like, so with the funds that were deposited, they were taking those and then like doing stuff with them. I don't think the actual funds, but, and again, this is like where I should be more knowledgeable and actually know if I have money in something, what they're doing with it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it's like they were doing things with those funds and then making money on top of it. And that's how they were getting those returns. But I guess they were doing some pretty risky stuff with it. Mm Because it's like, so in a savings account, you put your money they invest with that money and then you get, again, like a 3% return. So it's supposed to be like the same as that. But, but they're they, making more risky Yeah, they're just doing risky investments with it. And so when the whole market came down, they were like, oh, we're way too overexposed. And so they locked withdrawals on the platform. And it's so, a Celsius? Yeah. So if you had money, you couldn't pull it out. And then now they filed for bankruptcy and- <sighs> Oh my God. I'm sure the CEOs of the company are going to get off just fine. Yeah. Um, but it's everyone who had money. And I have some friends who had money in it too. And we're just like, okay, great. Screwed. Like we lost everything. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. And they're saying they're going to try to like get it back and like pay people out over time or like X amount back. But yeah, we'll see what happens with that. And so I think that's, again, like crypto tries to be decentralized and that's great. But at the same time, like maybe you do need some regulations. It comes back to like people being their own bank. Mm-hmm. It's, pretty hard and like you have to be aware of what you're doing with your money which you should be in any 
scenario. But like with a bank, well, I mean, I guess it happens some with banks, but now they're a lot more regulated and they have things in place where this shouldn't be happening. But yeah, I think you do still see it in the, yeah, since crypto is just even more of a crazy world, things like this are bound to happen. Yeah. Uh, so coming back to, I guess what happened with Celsius and what also happened with Luna and Terra USD, that has since prompted conversations within our government within Congress to draft mm -hmm. legislation to help regulate it, right? Yeah. And so I think that's why they're paying more attention to it because this can't be happening with companies. And like, obviously people are upset like me. So they're like, yeah, we need to look into this. But yeah, it's just tricky because crypto so wants to be one thing, but you have people doing this where it's like people are getting hurt by it. So, so are you more of the camp that it should be centralized or it shouldn't be? Like it so, should stay decentralized and yeah. it doesn't need to be black and white. You can give me a more in the gray answer. And it's tough because naturally I don't want the government controlling everything and like stepping in to say like, you all have to do this and have to do that. Again, it's tricky because I don't want to regulate it, but I guess then it just comes more onto me where I should be paying attention. And so I'm going to stay saying less regulation, but put it on myself and say, I'll pay more attention to what I'm doing with my money. So you're for more regulations, but keeping it decentralized. Yeah. And so like, maybe I'll say, maybe I don't want it regulated, but I don't know. It's tough because then you just really put people really in charge of what they're doing and having to pay attention to all these companies and like what they're putting their money into. And I mean, naturally you expect everyone to operate with a mindset that puts people first, but Obviously, people aren't going to do that because we've seen countless times companies and just everyone operating with their interests in mind and trying to make money for themselves. So I don't know. A lot of people can be corrupted yeah. and not operating with the good of the people in mind. Yeah. So I think maybe a little regulation, but just nothing like too crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good transition, honestly, into our conversation about PayPal because to your point, when you give power to a select group of people, they may not always have the people's, people as a whole, their best interest in mind. Mm -hmm. And what is a little scary to think about is if we continue to centralize digital forms of currency, whether that be literally just trading your dollar or, you know, keeping your money in a PayPal account mm -hmm. or whatever it may be, it's a lot riskier to you as a person who doesn't have access to your wallet as you would in crypto or mm -hmm. with Bitcoin or whatever it may be because whoever owns the ledger to PayPal can kind of do whatever they want with your money, right? Yeah, and I think that's the other thing. Like you hear of banks just freezing people's accounts. Yeah. And so it's like that could never happen with a Bitcoin wallet. So it's like, yeah, I never want crypto to get to that point like where someone is trying to step in and do that. And yeah, like say you had a PayPal account and they were trying to do the, they could just deduct 2,500 from your account. No company or entity should be able to control your money like that. Like mm -hmm. Especially yours. in a free country. Yeah. So yeah, it's like if you're using these banks and they can just freeze your account, I know it's nice to have banks handle your money for you and be the security as opposed to like taking it all into your hands and having your wallet and keeping track of your keys um, and just trying to stay safe yourself. But yeah, like I don't want someone to be able to say like, oh, sorry, you can't get into your account. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about PayPal's policy. At the beginning of October, I think it was actually America's Frontline News broke the story, and they had pulled an article from PayPal's own website about an impending acceptable use policy update. 
that was supposed to go live on November 3rd. And in it, it basically said, in addition to prohibiting platform use for people who were using it to exchange money for stolen goods or services, narcotics, firearms, Ponzi schemes, bribery, etc. They were actually expanding it to include anything related to sending, posting, or publishing messages that are harmful, obscene, harassing, or objectionable. And this is all up to PayPal's discretion. PayPal can decide what's considered objectionable. Cannot depict nudity or any intimate activities, illegal drug use, violence, criminal activity, cruelty, or self-harm, which... Fair enough. And then it says a user can be fined a minimum of $2,500, which is what you were talking about. That was minimum. Minimum. Yeah. For depicting discrimination of protected groups based on protected characteristics. So like race, religion, gender or gender identity, sexual orientation, etc. So think about the conversation that's going on in our culture about transgenderism and how that's such a hot button topic. Think about the people who might have those opinions from a public standpoint who are maybe going to be censored on PayPal. And then the biggest one that everybody was up in arms about was you can be fined $2,500. They'll just take it directly from your account. If PayPal decides that your messaging, public opinions, whatever it may be, is a risk to user safety or well-being or promotes misinformation. So if you have what PayPal thinks are the wrong opinions, they can take $2,500 out of your account. I was thinking about this more as like me using PayPal, but yeah, like so many companies use PayPal to run their business. Yeah, that just, I don't think any company should. And that again falls into like why crypto is better because no one in the crypto world could ever do that. And I know PayPal's nice because if I bought something and the seller didn't send the item I purchased, they would refund me or like help me with that. And you don't really have that with crypto because there's no company backing it. Like it's just up to the people to be good. But yeah, for a company to be able to say like, oh, we're just going to deduct X amount and like shut down your account. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah, that's just... It's so subjective. Yeah, and it's just so up in the air. Like they could just find anything wrong and use it as an excuse to shut down your account. Yeah. And I will say once this story broke, a bunch of people on social media were tweeting that they were deleting their PayPal accounts and taking all their money out and their stock actually dropped like six billion or not their stock, but their value dropped six billion overnight, tanked their stock value. And since then, they've gone back and they've said, oh, that was that wasn't real. That was a mistake. We didn't mean to put that in our policy. And it's been removed. So they walked it back. Which is good, but I think that's just still such an issue because the fact that they were going to do it until the backlash that they face, it's like the fact that just any company could do that. And I mean, I'm sure they still could. The fact that they put it out there, I'm sure they could find a reason to shut down a lot of accounts even without that statement. So yeah, that's just... Well, it just speaks to the greater level of censorship that could be placed upon us. Yeah, exactly. Like think about the... Canadian truckers protest when Canada was mandating that all those truckers go get vaccinated. There was a huge, massive protest and they were being funded through GoFundMe and GoFundMe froze all of those donations, all of it, and froze people's bank accounts who went to January 6th. And, you know, regardless of what your opinions are of January 6th or those protests, it's still such an infringement on our individual rights and freedoms. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I know people feel certain ways about everything and like things could be viewed as good or bad. But in the end, that doesn't mean that an entity should be able to shut down funds and like 
money and how you how people are spending their money and what they do with their money that just shouldn't happen and they, I, mean, like, I understand i somewhat understand like the points they're trying to make but it's like you can't just go and do that people are allowed to operate however they want and spend their money as they want yeah just trusting a bank is nice but the fact that they can freeze your account and just lock you out of everything like that's your hard-earned money mm-hmm. like, no one should be able to do that especially if it's digital yeah right your money isn't technically there it's digital yeah. and it's, te- it's supposed to be in your account, but the bank has complete control over it. And so there's just too much power that they have that they could and have exercised mm-hmm. that it's a little spooky, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And that's why Bitcoin is also kind of nice because say someone went into a bank's files, like some hacker and just set every value to zero. Yeah. All those people would just have nothing and there's nothing they can do. Whereas with Bitcoin, like you could if you had the 51%, but that's very difficult to do, especially with like well-established cryptos. So no one can go back and edit the blockchain and change all those transactions and where the money is. Like no one can do that. And it is a worldwide thing. So like it's very hard to stop something that everyone in the entire world is using as opposed to I understand if one country wanted to like ban a bank or like stop them, that could happen. But it's just, yeah, much harder with a crypto because everyone can use it. Too many, it's too far gone. Yeah. And so, and even with like a company, like say you have your data centers, someone could target all of those and take them down, but it's very hard to take down the Bitcoin network because everyone's mining everywhere. And then like, if one mining station gets taken down, a lot can step up and it'll keep running. I think Bitcoin has the longest running network out of pretty much anything ever. Because if with AWS, if people are using Amazon to support their businesses, like Amazon has pretty much 99% uptime, but it could still go down where Bitcoin, like it's just such a bigger platform or like just more supported overall. So like it's very hard to take something like that down. So again, that's why I've always been all about it because like companies, like you could target that one company, take down everything, but yeah. or like a bank. Uh, or a bank could target you. I mean, yeah. JP Morgan just kicked Kanye West out. Yeah, <laughs> like, and it's like, you can disagree with what he says, but yeah, the fact that you can just remove someone and stop them from using a service. Because you disagree with what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, it. I feel like it's just gotten out of control. Ever since COVID, you've seen, especially people who disagree with the establishment, people who have a more conservative right-wing viewpoint are getting censored or just taken off social media platforms. Conservative books are getting banned silently on Amazon. You know, Google's suppressing search results from more conservative publications like the New York Post. So there's just, there's just a lot going on. Yeah. And like, I might not agree with what everyone is like saying online or like what people are writing in books, but you can't stop that from being public when it comes down to it. That's not how people should act. And like, if you do disagree with what they're saying, just counter the point. Right. Or like come up with your own point to, yeah, just rebuttal it. Don't just remove it. Like people should still be able to say whatever, even though not everyone agrees with it. That's it's just freedom of speech. It's, fr- it's freedom of speech. Yeah. And companies like PayPal who are punishing people for, or even saying they're going to punish people who believe a story or a side of the story that they don't agree with, they're going to go ahead and fine them, that person, $2,500. GoFundMe's going to freeze the funding. JP Morgan's going to kick you out of their services and out of their bank. That doesn't, that's not what we should be doing 
in a free country where there is such thing as free speech. Yeah, like I, I understand why they think they can do that and why they feel like they're doing the right thing because they're like, oh, this is bad. But again, like in the end, what is bad and good? That's just, I don't know. No one should have the right to just stop people because of what they're doing. Yeah, like I said, I might not agree with it or like, a lot of people might not, but that's how those people feel. And that's what they want to do with their money. So you like, just let them. Right. Just let them. Yeah. Unless they're like slaughtering thousands of people or like. Well, if they're an actual terrorist. Yeah, exactly. Like an yeah. actual terrorist. Yeah. Then you can <laughs> shut that down. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, because um, I agree with the, uh, what is it? The acceptable use policy that they originally had, which was making sure that users are prohibited from using their platform if they're using it for illegal activity. Yeah. But misinformation dubbed by PayPal, what PayPal decides is misinformation, no. Yeah, exactly. I understand illegal stuff, but yeah, just misinformation. And like, I get why they try to do that, but just let people believe what they want and like do what they want. You don't have to step in and try to censor it. Right. So speaking of PayPal, do you know who was part of the initial creation of PayPal? Wasn't it good old Elon Musk? It was our good old friend, Elon. <laughs> so did you know in 1999, Elon Musk actually created what's called X.com. And it was an online banking service that was the first of its kind at the time. It was actually one of the first federally insured online banks. And in 2000, it formed with another bank called Confinity, which has the architecture in place that we know as PayPal today. And so in 2000, X.com and Confinity merged and became PayPal, which was sold to eBay in 2002 for $1.5 billion. So let's talk Elon Musk. Let's wrap this up with our good old South African friend. Yeah. And so going off of that, have you seen the picture of him? It might be him and the original founder and he has half of the head of hair that he has now. No. It's like a really old picture of him. <laughs> and I think I've even seen a video of like after he sold PayPal, he was like buying his first McLaren. Good for him. Yeah, just like really <laughs> funny. But yeah, it's crazy. I feel like Elon Musk is just a troll, like an online troll uh, right I now. Think that's what he just lives to do. Right now, his Twitter bio is perfume salesman. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess I always liked Elon because of what he was doing, not necessarily the things he would say and the way he acted, but I've always been interested in cars. So like for him to, especially with all these well-established car companies that have been around for so long, for him to step in and create something, a new car company that was doing something completely different, I thought that was just very cool and exciting. And yeah, with PayPal, like clearly he's a very smart person coming up with all these ideas and executing on them and yeah like some of the stuff he does now i feel like he's just yeah trolling almost to the max and just like i'm like just stop so um, is he buying twitter or is he not he's buying twitter who knows anymore <laughs> um we'll see what he does with that i feel like yeah because he was and then he wasn't and now he might be again so yeah we'll see I, but and that's the other thing i feel like half the stuff he does is just he would tweet about dogecoin and then dogecoin would go up a lot he brought it up on snl so it's like he's just doing market manipulation which <laughs> he probably should get in trouble for and it's like when he announced he was going to buy twitter didn't that go up yeah yeah he, i feel like he's just doing stuff to because he thinks it's funny and like because he wants to make more money 
I mean, yeah. I also think the Twitter back and forth, there is some merit to it, though, because he did say that one of the factors that went into that deal becoming more fruitful Mm -hmm. was for Twitter to disclose how many bots they had, how many, what percentage of their profiles on Twitter were actual bots. And they very significantly under disclosed how many bots they actually had. Yeah, I do actually remember that because I got on Twitter, yeah, for NFTs, like NFT Twitter is a big thing. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I actually was saying that in the amount of bots that tag me and stuff just for being like NFT related on Twitter is just insane. So I was actually happy. I do remember seeing that and I was like, yes, he's going to do something about it. Yeah. And then he just went back and forth on it. But yeah, that is interesting. And like, that would be great to get rid of all of that. And yeah, it is. Well, because I do think if Elon Musk buys Twitter, he would bring it back to what it was originally used for, which is acting more like a public square instead of being more biased towards one side of the aisle or the other. You know, you're seeing much more, many more conservatives being censored on Twitter than you're seeing liberals. Which makes sense because of how it's run currently. Yeah. And like, I like Twitter, but at the same time, I also don't think everyone should go around and be tweeting stuff because they're just, a lot of people just shouldn't have a platform. <laughs> not, not in like a, that's not in like a political way either. It's just like some people just weren't meant to tweet and like share <laughs> what they say. And I guess that's not very American in free speech, but I don't know. It's the just, most anti-free speech you've said today. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Some people are just, I'm like, come on like we don't need to hear anything from you we don't need to hear anything <laughs> um, from you <laughs> which yeah, i guess that's not very american and yeah but uh that's okay but you're a private citizen you can be judgmental but it doesn't yeah. mean you're gonna go censor somebody exactly like they can still say it i just don't think they should right i mean it's like yeah people are just so would you be happy if elon actually did buy twitter probably just because i feel like he he would just let twitter be its thing and he would like let people do and i mean so i say that but at the same time so i think on twitter it should be instead of just liking and retweeting you should also have something for disliking so then it just comes down to the power of the people and i think they were even talking about maybe doing that because then it's just more free and open because a lot of people will like stuff and retweet it but you should also have the ability to dislike it and like shut people down almost what do you mean shut people down not shut them down in like in terms of removing what they're saying or like censoring them but just having more of a counter because some things on twitter i feel like can just get picked up and like start running but at the same time you should people should be able to balance that out because yeah i feel like some stuff just gets picked up and really gets going but it's like if we could add in another field where you're disliking or like stopping it a little more or just like Mm -hmm. adding more of a counterpoint um like if you disagree with it you're almost counteracting its ability to go viral yeah so then it's just like more in the hands of the people like because that brings more balance well and it should because if it does act like the town square of communication that's how we all interact and this is our community so it shouldn't be biased yeah exactly it should be objective yeah so you're just like letting it run but also adding in like the ability yeah for the people to kind of ways to keep it balanced yeah exactly yep i completely agree i think it needs that yeah period yeah so hopefully elon musk does buy it and he does implement something like that yeah we'll see (laughs) but let's get back to tesla and what other companies elon is bringing into the forefront of society and the future of tech and what his vision of America might look like. Yeah, going back to Elon, I feel like he's very smart in the way he he comes up with all these amazing ideas and executes on them. With Tesla, I got I was just all about Tesla early on because 
not only just because the electric vehicle was different, but he was also doing like the self-driving, which when I, like I bought some Tesla stock really early on because people didn't realize that each Tesla while it was driving was collecting data. Interesting. Yeah. And so like all the cameras were always on it. He was just learning about so much road related and his self-driving platform was instead of Google, they would just send out a car and then put a camera on it and it would learn but he just had every car he sold doing the same thing. So naturally you're gonna collect a ton of data about everything while, by doing that. That's a little, it feels like a violation of privacy though, right? Yeah, I'm sure it's somewhere in the- <laughs> It's in the contract that yeah, we didn't know we signed on <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, one of those. Yeah, I think it would be more external, the cameras and all of that collecting data. I know some of them have cameras in the car now, but yeah, I'm hoping that that is pretty very yeah. clearly disclosed. Yeah, and like that they aren't really doing anything with that. But yeah, as far as collecting data about driving, I think it was just years ahead of everything else. And now we have more companies like Rivian coming out with electric cars, which will get some competition and kind of get things going again. But yeah, as far as like self-driving, I just thought that was so cool because I was like, oh, if I'm going on a road trip, I could just sit back. Sit in the back seat and just chill. Yeah, just let it drive. And he was just so far ahead on that. And yeah, like with SpaceX, like space is something else that is just insane to me. And I've always thought is amazing and like we'll just never uncover. Even a fraction yeah, of what's out there. Yeah, a fraction of anything out there. And so, yeah, space has always interested me. And so it's funny that he did something car related, which was something I was always interested in. Space related, which is another thing I was always interested in. So that's why I always liked him and like I may not agree with everything he says and does but as far as the companies he runs I have always liked those and yeah it's crazy to think before him with space related things it was just like NASA doing launches here and there and that pretty much died but he found a whole new way to go about it and like I watched the documentary on him sending I mean more or less everyday people to orbit earth and I think that's just like insane and so cool and so to see that I'm sure like some people are like oh that's just like a waste of money but it's really not if you think of everything that's out there and like the people who think the earth is flat it's just <laughs> clearly not if we can orbit it <laughs> but I think he is really just pushing the boundaries and like showing us things that have never been done before and I guess the biggest thing was he was reusing the rockets which no one ever thought to do that they would be like one and done and he's like oh we're gonna send it up send it again send it again land it and then I saw someone the company and they tweeted oh we made the first self-driving boat and he was like oh we already did that like, a long time ago because <laughs> he would land the rockets on been it. there done that <laughs> yeah because he was like oh if we're gonna land a rocket that's coming down in the middle of the ocean we need a boat that can just go out there and grab it so he was like oh we did that <laughs> like and, and it's so funny because it's just like a side thing for him he like never made a big deal about it but he was like oh we need this so let's do it so I think that's just like hilarious he's always doing what he thinks would be good and like what he wants to do have you been paying attention to Starlink at all his company his oh yeah satellite so company? I actually I think I got on the reservation list pretty early just because I was curious because again yeah I'm into tech and like wi-fi speed and I have like the speed test on my phone so I'll go places and just do the speed test to see it how good the wi-fi is there so I haven't received it yet but yeah I got on that because I was like okay this would be awesome because I was thinking like RVs and things like that. You can just throw that up, get Wi-Fi 
wherever you go. Literally wherever you go. Yeah. And I just hate dealing with the companies who set up all the crap at your house. And Do you know um, how many times our power and our internet has gone out? Yeah. And then you're just screwed. Yeah. Again, that's just something else where he's like doing what hasn't been done and switching things up. He always has that mindset where I'm going to do this differently. And that's another big thing in society. We just like accept how things are. And I think Steve Jobs would always say there's typically just another and better way to do things. And like we just fall in the routine of accepting how things are done. But there generally is always a better way. And so you just have to look at it a different way and implement it and try it. Think outside of the box, be more creative. Yeah, exactly. And so Elon just continues to do that. And yeah, with Starlink, he was like, oh yeah, this makes more sense. Let's do this. And And Starlink is so powerful that it is providing internet to Ukraine amid this entire conflict with Russia. Yeah, and I think just having the satellites and yeah, just Wi-Fi wherever you go, like it's always up. I think that is just so genius. Mm-hmm. And now he, I know he's working some on, what is it, the starships? Maybe those will be the ones that go to Mars. But I think he's going to do like commercial flights and stuff in space. So I think he's working on all that now. So yeah, I'm definitely curious to see what he continues to do. He's completely reimagining what our future looks like. Yeah. And I know we're almost out of time, but quickly, I want to ask, do you have any knowledge into the boring company? Oh, I actually did look into that early on. Which is another one of his other investments. Yeah, one of his many companies. One of his many companies. I don't know who, like, if you know the backstory, but he was sitting in traffic one day in California or LA, I guess, because it's so bad there. And he was like, I don't like this. And so he was like, (laughs) I'm going to build a tunnel underground. (laughs) Again, that's just something where he's sitting around and like, oh, this could be better. Like, he didn't even get any permits or anything. And he just started drilling underground and then the city was like oh well you can't really just go and do that Um, but it's just hilarious to me that he started doing it but yeah it is the boring company and this kind of ties into i've always thought like high-speed trains would be great airlines are fine but like from dallas to austin i think it would be great to have a high-speed train because like if you've been to europe it's like something that's so widely accepted there and it just makes sense to me totally and i think it's a just a big money thing and again like curse the government for like shutting stuff like that down because that would make society just better in my mind if I could hop on a train that goes 200 miles an hour and be in Austin in like 30 minutes. Well, and it cuts down on the amount of cars riding on the highways. So if you're going to have the conversation about climate change and people who are advocates for cleaning up our air, wherever you fall on that spectrum, that would help. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I kind of went to that because The Boring Company is definitely cool, but it's like, okay, you can do one car at a time in this tunnel, which like is nice, but we could just do better than that if we did high-speed trains or something like that. Wasn't he talking about doing underground trains that were on some sort of magnetic field? Was that the Boring Company? I don't know how much he's talked about that. This was years ago when I had first heard about that. Yeah. And I feel like he's kind of switched back and forth with everything he's done, but the most recent thing I've seen is just like a car goes down and is on a little thing and then it just goes underground. But yeah, like those magnetic trains that would kind of hover, like that'd be great. And that's something I've always, yeah, I really want trains to be big, but I think it's just government and money are fighting against it. As always, As always with everything, (laughs) which is super annoying. Yeah. I mean, he's a great thinker and such an innovator. And I'm really excited to see how he and his brain just completely transforms the way that our society functions, right? Yeah. So it'll be cool to watch. Yeah, I'm sure we'll continue to see it. So definitely exciting Mm -hmm. to see what he comes up with next. All right. I think we're basically out of time. Yeah. But before we hop off, you 
have to rate the wine? The wine, I'd probably say like... So again, this is the Justin Cabernet Sauvignon 2019. I'd say... Think like Terry. Put on your Terry hat. Well, what? yeah, it's funny because I would be having dinner with them and I'd say, oh, this is... I'm trying to think of some of the things I would say about wine and they'd both be like, okay. For this, I'd probably say maybe like a seven. Seven. Okay. So I do like this one. This one's good. Yeah, like I feel I like you have to go home and buy it. It's I just might. it's a good one. Yeah, it's smooth. I feel like and see like this could be like a $300 bottle of wine and I'd still be like, oh, I should give it a 10, but Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. or like a $20 and I'll still say seven. <laughs> so yeah. what would make it a 10? That's what I don't know. Okay. So it's just like this <laughs> ambiguous number. You'll, you'll know a 10 when you taste it. Exactly. Kind of thing. Well, yeah. See, and that's what I'm kind of basing it off of. Like I've had other wines and I'm like, okay, this deserves a 10 and I don't really know why, but yeah. it's just because of the way it hits. <laughs> the way it hits. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so this is definitely up there, but it's not like the 10s that I've ranked in my days. Fair enough. Fair enough. You wine connoisseur, you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alex. You have rated this wine a seven, and that means next time you come on, we'll have to find you another one that you rate as as a 10. Yeah, we'll see if we can get the 10. But yeah, thanks so much for having me. I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, Um, it's been so fun. Yeah, we can follow up on all of this. All the things. I feel like we need to do a crypto part two. Yeah, we definitely should. And maybe once we see some of these laws and regulations fall more into place, we can do that. Totally. The market's kind of down right now. We can even do it once it's going again. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think it was cool to see like the big NFT run and all of that. So I'm kind of curious what happens next. A hundred percent. And you're the best person to explain this to me and to anybody else who's curious about it. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll see. I'm working a little bit on the NFT project called Snobby Hills related to golf. Stompy Hills. Snobby Hills. Snobby Hills. Yeah. Okay. And we'll see if that makes it big next time I'm here. Yeah. That'll (laughs) be fun to talk about. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, Alex, where can everybody find you? The main place would be my Twitter for NFTs because okay. hopefully we got to get big crypto crowd here. Yeah. And so that's at Dino D Crypto. Which at is, Dino D Crypto. Which is pretty weird. It started with my friends and I, we all kind of did Dino and then a natural disaster for our Xbox profiles. So I was Dino Drought. I have a friend who's Dino Blizzard, Dino Quake. <laughs> um, so I t- kind of took the Dino thing and ran with it. So that's where the Dino D comes from, Dino Drought. I love it. Um, We'll see how long I keep that going, but that's who I am for now. So Okay, so at Dino D Crypto. That's me. Okay, y'all. So if you want to follow Alex on his Twitter NFT journey, follow him at at Dino D Crypto. Yeah, and if I see the followers roll in, then maybe that'll get me tweeting more. So there you go. We gotta get him tweeting more. Yeah, <laughs> I have some good stuff to say. He's he should be tweeting more. Yeah. Okay, I know he says he doesn't want other people to tweet, but he should be tweeting more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure that's how everyone feels. Now that I say that, and people will see my tweets and be like, "Well, you shouldn't be tweeting." So. <laughs> well, but you hey, know what? It's subjective, game. right? Yeah. Once Elon buys Twitter, you all can give me the dislike and. We'll and keep that there. conversation balanced, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. Keep, Balance me out. <laughs> keep Alex's tweets from going viral by <laughs> yeah, disliking <stop> them. Me, yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this latest episode of Wine and Politics. Please give this episode five stars or write a review. And most importantly, please share this with a friend. We really appreciate the support. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. Until next time. <laughs>